This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets once again look to a home tie against the Hammers to reignite some form. It's West Ham United. It's the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the No Name Never podcast. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week are two regular panellists, George Poole and Liam Hallinan. George, Liam, hello, hello, hello. Good evening. Hello, Natalie. Good evening. Hey, George. Good to have you both on again, and uh, certainly as we have a very fantastic podcast to, to listen to this week, it's always very nice to have a nice, positive, uplifting podcast to report on. And what a weekend that was. Um, I didn't have to succumb to a media blackout on Saturday night. I could watch Match of the Day and Goals on Sunday and Soccer Sunday and everything else, Match of the Day too, all with happiness and watch that fantastic result over and over and over again. Um, And our mighty Clarets gave everybody in Burnley a chance to enjoy their Saturday night. Um, It was, of course, an emphatic 3-0 win against Manuel Pellegrini's West Ham United side. Um, now, George, just a week ago, we were bemoaning an absolute shocker of a away day at Sheffield United. Um, Deitch asked for a performance. He made some changes and he most definitely got one. It was absolutely brilliant. I I can't tell you how excited I was to watch match of the day. And it was one of the first times in so long that I've just sat back and thought, I can't wait to watch this. And then when I, I hadn't looked at the running order before watching it and then when I realised we were second on and that meant we were going to have extended highlights I was absolutely buzzing because what a performance it was straight from the the first whistle I just noticed so much of a difference uh, to Sheffield United the players were running around with such energy and such enthusiasm you could tell you could tell they'd probably got a bollocking let's be honest the week before and you they were just they were just at it from minute one we were all over West Ham and it wasn't just physically running about uh, in the actual football, we were just tearing them apart at times. We run them absolutely ragged. Yeah, we certainly did. Um, Liam, that's one of the things that Deitch touched on, actually, in his post-match interview. He said that um, he'd saw the intent from the very kickoff. Um, he said that their eyes were alive. He saw it in their eyes. Um, I, I, guess, I guess it was expected, really. But I, I find it very... Odd to think what on earth was wrong just seven days ago and how in the world did you just turn it around so much in, in seven days? Well, it's difficult to say in it because really the personnel didn't change that much up, up to that point. Maybe it was the international break prior that, uh, that, that put the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit. But I have to agree with George and I did smile at his enthusiasm of that commendation. I mean, probably a few supporters thought there may have been more changes, namely Jack Cork and maybe Hendrick moving into the middle, but I thought everybody performed really well, absolutely really well. And I take me out off to him and he, he did the job and it, it should have been far more than three. 
Well, it was. It was five. We ended up scoring five goals, but we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, sticking with you then, Liam, just picking up on that point that you said then about the changing personnel. Um, he did he did in, hint at that, didn't he, in the, early on in the week, did Dutch? He did say that um, places were up for grabs, I believe, was the headline. Um, and the two, the two big ones were, of course, both fullbacks, which I, I guess we were all expecting and certainly what we talked about. So let's let's start on, on the left then with Taylor. I mean... I'm a big Taylor fan anyway. I think he's a stronger player than Peters. But what did you feel was an improvement on that left side at the weekend? Well, I think it, anybody that went to Sheffield United would have seen that once Taylor came on at half-time, he was probably the only one that you could, you could call out for the entire 90 minutes that, that put a shift in. Um, and whilst I very much admire Peters... Um, he has made a few mistakes, and I think some, to some degree there's a little bit of complacency that creeps in every now and again. And I think that um, unlike Daesh in some ways, he did sort of level a bit of criticism at his team at Sheffield United, and, and that's why he triggered the, those comments around that there will be some changes. I think he was quoted as saying, maybe this is anecdotal or not, that if he could have changed the entire back four at half-time, he would have done. But certainly, Taylor coming on, he obviously had the hunger. He obviously had the desire. Him and him and Dwight McNeil worked really well on that left-hand side. And I have to say that Dwight McNeil wasn't looking that good in the first half. And when Charlie Taylor came on, he looked a bit better. I think that's definitely the the, the improvements that I see from Taylor to Peters. I really missed at the beginning of the season that link-up play that Taylor and McNeil seemed to have together. And I, I thought they were terrific again at the weekend. They just they seemed to link up together very, very well. And we just seemed to create much more chances on that left side when that's there. Um, George, on the other side of the wing then... Um, this is the very much the divisive one. Um, there are there are fans who fall squarely in Camp Lawton, and there are others who fall squarely in Camp Bardsley. I'm really torn with this particular change because I'm a huge fan of Matt Lawton. I really like him, and I think he's actually a more skillful defender. Um, the problem is, is that he's having shocking form this this season, early in, in this season, and it was absolutely the right thing to do to drop him. But I never seem to really get the impression that Barsley can cut it long term. He seems to have one or two really good games and then fall off again. Do you do you get that same opinion? Or are you quite comfortable having Barsley there? I'm a big fan of Barsley. Just just touching back on um, Matt Taylor. Oh, not Matt Taylor. Well, yeah, that's going back a few years. Touching back on Charlie Taylor for a minute. Um, I've just been looking at the England squad and they've got obviously Ben Chilwell as first choice, which is fair enough, a fine player. But Danny Rose is the backup. I think with the form he's, he's shown over the past year with us and hopefully he continues to show from now on, I think Taylor can definitely make a push for the England squad. At the age of 26, the way him and McNeil link up on the left, I'm the same as you two. It was absolutely brilliant to see at the weekend. But I'm definitely Camp uh, Bardsley. Not, not. It's not that I'm can, camp anti Lawton. It's just I feel like it just seems to me. Maybe if it's just injuries, maybe. But every couple of uh, every year, sorry for the past few years, it's felt as though Lawton he plays well for a few games, but then he just gets into a rut, a rut of bad form, and he needs a, a kick up the backside by bringing in Bardsley. And it's happened for the past couple of years now, and I think it's definitely a position we should be looking to upgrade. Maybe it's not a priority in January, but definitely next summer. I think we need a new first choice right back. Lawton's been a good player for us, but I, I just don't think he cuts the mustard anymore. He's a good player, but he has too many spells of bad form. Defensively, sometimes he's completely inept. And I think that's definitely where Bardsley has the edge over him. Uh, it just seems that, obviously, it's probably due to experience with him being such an older player. He seems to be in the right place at the right time. He's not got the pace of Lawton uh, to recover, but he, if, he, if you're in the right place at the right time, you'll make the interceptions. So and that's why I think he's done really well for us. And he had another solid game at the weekend. So whether he can do it, like you're saying, four, five, six games, uh, yet to see. But if he keeps on playing well like he did at the weekend, there's, there's no reason to drop him for me. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's a funny one, really, because I've, I've got all of those 
concerns but about Barnsley uh, we, we almost have a complete flip of each other about our opinions of players this is what I love about football I love how subjective it is and I love how you can have one player who just lights up somebody's world and then you have another player who um literally you just wish that you could drive them to another club um Liam I guess we certainly looked more stable at the back didn't we but it's a very difficult one to call because you know having Peters and Lawton in there we've also looked at times this season very very solid um I just I guess I don't really know where we're gonna go going forward if he's gonna I understand I think Taylor's the right one to keep him from now on but I just I think just the right back really worries me a little bit and I just don't see Bardsley being able to keep that consistency long term I know George is clearly a fan and thinks that there is but do you not think that we lose a bit of creativity going forward when Bardsley's in this Bardsley's in the side well, it's funny you mention that. I'm actually with you on your view of George's opinion, although I don't completely disagree with, with George because they do seem to tag team it a little bit, my view is. Um, so you had, you had Barsley at the start of last season, didn't you? Then when we played Man City at home, he had a, a right nightmare and that was a, that was basically a culmination of, of a number of bad performances. And Dyche brought Matt Loughton on at half-time after his is complete mare and Matt Loughton was the one that threw the free kick in for Goodmanson to score the equaliser against City, right? Um what a, what an amazing what an amazing turnaround. But but you're right, and the point that I'm making is that where I agree with George is we need somebody that's going to be consistent for a full season rather than depending on people to be switching about, dropping dropping form and coming back in. Uh, and um maybe Maybe Loughton is one of them that you can depend on because he's obviously good mates and he's got a good relationship with Tarks, whereas Bards seems to be one that just plays on his own. He's definitely team player. They're all team players. They're all dice players. But he goes forward a lot more, and I think sometimes he gets a little bit too much much of that um, confidence and loses out on his defending skills. Same as, to be fair, that, that, that Tarkovsky does. Sometimes he he has three or four or five good games and then tries to start taking the ball forward too much and then you know gives it away and we lose a goal for some reason like Madison and uh, against Leicester last season. Interesting stuff. I like it. I do like. We're, we're going to have. A, I might start a team known and ever straw poll on 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 fullbacks and see who which camp everybody sits in. Um, one thing that, well, I guess one change that none of us will argue about here is, of course, the um, call-up again, now he's fit, of Chris Wood. Something that we talked about quite a lot in last week's podcast was how much our shape changes when Wood's not in the side and how we really miss our attacking threat. Wood was fit, he was back, and he was absolutely on fire George, I just think we now need to put to bed this argument and this whole debate about Chris Wood. He is, is he not, one of, if not the most important player that we have in our squad? Discuss. He is so good. If I had the ability to wax lyrical about Chris Wood, I would absolutely do it. I think he's so pivotal to our team and the way we play. It's It's been under underappreciated for the past year by... Well, it probably probably isn't a large amount of fans, but the ones you see on Twitter, the ones who are Chris Woods offside again, Chris Woods that. But the way we play is entirely set up with him running in behind, and then even if he doesn't win the ball, we win this. We pick up the second ball, or we pick up the throwing. Like all of our long balls are literally just over the top, and it's either him or Barnes just running onto them, so we could get get the second ball. The ent- our entire attack relies around him, and it's not just that; it's his finishing at the weekend. I mean, the the goal that wasn't a goal with Mc- the McNeil's incredible cross. What a header! So I, I couldn't believe it when it when it scored. I was it's going crazy. Forget this, not celebrating because of VAR. I was going crazy. I couldn't believe it. I managed to head that into the top corner, and then for the for his actual goal, what a finish with his left foot! I was so delighted that he was back in the team. And just a word on Barnes, I, I, before the game, I'd, I'd said last week that maybe I want Wood and Rodriguez to start because Barnes obviously hasn't scored in a while. But he was back to his best again at the weekend and just shows don't doubt them, don't doubt them too. 
and it's great news that they've both signed long-term deals. Yeah, absolutely is, Liam. That was that was what I was going to come on to next. Um, just picking up on what George said there, which was a really important point. But uh, Barnes looked really out of sorts against Sheffield United last week, and a lot of people were calling for him to be dropped. But I just think that Chris Wood gets the best out of him, and I think we saw that again at the weekend. Absolutely. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth, Natalie. They, they so feed off each other. The, the balls that came across, certainly in the first half, which I might add they got switched around because it felt really strange shooting to the Jimmy Mack stand in the first half. I don't know what you guys thought about that. But um, but Chris Wood seemed to get the ball down off those on balls, hold it up really well. Technically, Barnes has, has come on in leaps and bounds in the last three or four, three or four years. And maybe in the last two, two or three matches, he seemed to have dropped off a bit, but he was back to his exceptional best, his absolute Wigan best. Do, do you know what I mean? And, they seem to work well together. People have doubted Woods. People have doubted Barnes in the past. I just think they work so well together. That's not disputing what J-Rod could possibly do as a filling player or Matty Vidra. I think thought he showed a bit of spark against Sheffield United. But my God, they were looking well together on Saturday. Yeah, they really were to the point where when Jay did come on at the end, it was almost like, oh, no. I love Jay, don't get me wrong. And I think he's, he has got a part to play in this season for sure. But I, I just, when Wood and Barnes are on fire like they were at the weekend and they're playing the way that they do, I just want to watch them all the time. It's such a joy. And just seeing them, I don't know. I, it's just the way that they make things really difficult for them. Actually, this is a good point that I'm going to bring up here, actually. Um, Liam, when I was reading all of the press releases, as I say, it wasn't a media blackout, so I can consume every piece of information that there is out there. And listening to the post-match interviews, um, I was really intrigued by Declan Rice's interview when he said, look, let's be honest, it was a shocking performance by us, nowhere near our best. And he came out with a line that really frustrated me. And he said, we were bullied all over the park. And Goals on Sunday on Sky picked up on this as well. And they said, yeah. And they were laughing about it going, yeah, they were bullied by Burnley. And I'm getting a little bit frustrated by this Burnley are physical, Burnley bully people. Because wooden bonds, to me, are so much more than a physical bully boy. Well, to be fair, I I, uh, read and heard those comments as well, Matt, and my reading into that wasn't just that we're a roughy, toughy team to play and you've got to come to turf more and put your long sleeves on because it's going to be cold and miserable and dank and dark. And And I loved it on Saturday. What I read into that is that, that we're a well-organised team, that we, we go for it and every player played their part in it. If there was any, 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 any let's say, negative view on the team selection when it came out at two o'clock, you might have said that you could have argued that maybe Jack Cork could have been moved out instead of and, and put Hendrick in the middle and have Brady on one side, etc. All of that hyperbole came out. But I think every player, including Jack Cork, who I thought played very, very well indeed, played all their part. They didn't let any loose ball go. They were first to the ball every time. And I, it, it was just a, a pleasure to watch. It was a pleasure to watch. You know when it's a pleasure to watch, when all the People that are sat around you in Block A in the James Hargreaves Upper are all having a chinny chin wag and, and having a little laugh and a joke with each other all the time round. <laughs> That's true, they really are. George, did you feel the same? Yeah, I had the exact same reaction as Liam to what Beckman Rice said. The complete opposite to you. When he said, Oh, we were we were bullied all over the pitch, I, I just I looked at it in glee. I couldn't believe what he was saying. I was so delighted. Because it summed up the game for me, but I just don't. I just didn't think a, a West Ham player would have the bottle to admit it. To me, it was just the, the entire feel of the game. We were all over them. All over them. It wasn't just this physical edge of oh, Barnes and Wood. It was just that the feel of the game, the way it went. We were running them, running them all over the place, and especially at the corners. I mean, it was it was such a joy to watch their keeper flapping about all over the place. <laughs> the defense didn't know how, how to handle it. So to me, the, the bullying, was it just summed up the game, to be fair. That's how it felt as a fan, that we just bullied them off the park and they didn't know how to respond. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with both of you. I really don't. I think it's there is a smugness to you, isn't there, when you hear someone like Declan Rice coming out with those comments and, and like you say, George, having the balls to be able to, to come out and say it, which I would add his manager very much didn't have the balls to say he very much tried to to argue something else and he said oh yeah no it was it was a fine performance I, I can't criticize the performance but but Rice did come out and he was very honest in his assessment I just I wonder whether I'm just feeling sensitive about it it just feels like all the time we're being talked about by physicals and all the the direct and the play physical and it, it to me it it can suggest that there's nothing more to our game other than brawl and 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 physicality whereas when you look at Barnes and, and Wood playing up front together when they're as in sync as they are the talent that's there and the creativity and the just the, the the talent that they've got between them I just think it's a really joy to watch so that's where I was getting at more than anything I, I understand your point I really do um so let's move on then and that's actually have a look at the goals because as the title of this week's podcast will suggest, and hilariously as the um, crowd at the ground were singing, we actually scored five goals, but the scoreline remained at 3-0. So, Liam, goal number one. Um, I think it's fair to say we got a lucky break with that corner. Yeah, when you look back on the uh, on the replays, we certainly got a lucky break um, and... Ashley Barnes certainly wasn't complaining when it was uh, when it was claimed to be a corner, but you know, decisions come and go, and whether it's VAR related or otherwise, you've got to take them, haven't you? They go against us, they go for us, and as you will know by our esteemed manager, Mister Dash, um, he will talk about that they should even themselves out, uh, and it's decisions like that that probably will even themselves out over the uh, over the course of the over the course of the season. So the decisions that VR should be imposing on that that don't, but yeah, what a good do. I didn't realise that it that it did come off Barnsley at the time. Um, it was only when I watched the replays on Sky the next day and Match of the Day replay the next day that that I saw it came off him. But yeah, yeah, we're very lucky. I'm very very I'm very pleased with that oversight. Yeah, I think we did see it actually at the time, Lee, and we we sit quite close to where that goal was, um, and. It was interesting when you watch all of the, the players, they'd already started to move away as if it had been a goal kick. And, and as soon as he gave it a corner, we were all like, oh, that came off Barnes. I'm sure it did. It looked pretty clear to me anyway. So I certainly wasn't surprised to hear it, see it on the replays that it did hit Barnes. Um, interesting what you were saying then, Liam, about um, things evening in itself out over the season. I'm not entirely sure that luck and odds work that way. However, I do have a good friend of mine who... Um, he always laughs at, at teams when they say things even themselves out and, and stuff like that. Because if you ask most Premier League side, well, actually, if you ask most football fans and say, you know, does your team get, I guess, shafted more in decisions or do you consider most decisions going your way? And, and pretty much every single fan or the vast majority of them will say, oh, no, we get, we get so many decisions that go against us. And, and most of them will be wrong. But I always say to him when he says this to me that Burnley is the exception. We definitely get get uh, the wrong end of some decisions. So I was very, very pleased to accept that gift from, from the referee. Um, what I don't understand, actually, George, I don't know if you can fill us in on this, or actually, Liam, you may be able to as well. I'm assuming that VIR doesn't look at things like corners because I, I didn't understand why that hadn't been picked up. VAR doesn't look at corners. There are there are specific topics that that it does look at, um, and that's not one of them. Yeah, I suppose it's the next phase of play, isn't it? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just I, I just wonder whether we've got this generic category of mistaken identity, which of course is supposed to be yellow cards and red cards. But a mistaken identity to me could still be something like you've awarded a goal kick in a corner when it's come off the wrong player. So that I don't know, I, who knows? Like, let's save that for another day. Okay, so George, I'm going to come back to you then on the the second goal that never was. Just you've already picked up on this at one point, but I'm kind of gutted for McNeil and for Chris Wood as well because the history books have ruled out just one of the most beautiful crosses that you'll ever see. It's kind of frustrating, isn't it, that it didn't count. It's absolutely gutting. I couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, to be honest, it made me. It made the the goal later so much sweeter. The fact that McNeil got the assist again and Wood got the goal because it was almost just like payback for before. The, on the actual decision itself, I mean, it's just a, it's just a shame. I, I don't know. I try and trust VAR with that, even though 
it does look a bit dodgy on the pictures, but I just try and go with it with the offsides because it doesn't have to be like clear and obvious. It just it is either offside or it isn't. But what a cross it was. It just shows the talent that he has. I was reading something at the weekend and it said, I think he, he put in 12 crosses during the during the game. Which is oh, wow, really? Ridiculous amount, a ridiculous amount. And what impresses me is the fact that he can get he can do it from so such hard angles. It looks like he's running towards the corner flag. You're thinking, oh, no, this is going nowhere. Next thing, you know, it's in the six-yard box. I mean, his crossing ability is absolutely incredible. And I'm just... I'm enjoying having McNeil at the club while while we can because I don't think it's going to last much longer. No, I'm pretty convinced he's going to go next season as well. Um, it, just picking up on the actual decision itself, I mean, we do need to clarify actually because I was kind of getting a little bit frustrated around me and that everybody, there were so many people around us screaming, oh, that's not clear and obvious error. To be clear, the clear and obvious error principle with VAR does not apply to offside. It's not that's not the test that they apply so it doesn't really matter whether it's inches offside you're not looking for a clear and obvious error all goals are checked by VAR and they're either offside or they're not the clear and obvious error rule is for something else like a foul that leads up to the goal or a handball somewhere that's missed those are the things that that applies to so with Wood's non-existent goal the goal that never was was nothing to do with a clear and obvious error it was just a question mark as to whether it was offside or on that said we are all expressing some frustration that despite some consistency that we're getting in the league and despite this being well it's either offside or it's not the fractions with which they are applying the rule is is just it just doesn't seem to me that that's what the spirit of the game intended. And there's little things that are bothering me with this. Um, I, I'm not a technology wizard, and, and some I'm sure some of our listeners will be able to come on and give us some better insights than this. But I'm told that the VAR cameras can only take eight frames per second, which in 2019 doesn't seem like a lot. So, And, and somebody, I think it's a Liverpool fan who's done a blog that says that if the frame, if if the key moment is at the point where the frame hasn't been taken there can be a difference of 17 inches now that's not a marginal offside that's a a good foot's worth you know there can be some significant errors with the technology as it is Um, and it's little things for me like okay supposing as a striker you've just got bigger feet than the defender and you take a size nine boot and you're up against a defender who's got quite small feet for a guy in Texas size six, for example. The fractions that they're applying these offside rules to mean that you're being penalised just because you've got bigger feet than the defender. And it just, I don't know, I accept that we're getting some consistency with consistencies with offside, but I think there has to be a wider fraction. I don't think they can literally narrow this down to millimetres. Um, I, I guess, Liam, what is your thoughts on the offside rule? Do you do you feel that's accurate? Would you like to see, say, there has to be an inch grace period or something like that? I think that um, when you take the technology into consideration, you mentioned about eight frames per second. I think it needs to be something like 20 frames per second to be absolutely accurate about the point where the ball is kicked. But I'm only speaking anecdotally from conversations that I've had with other people that are more into that technology. What what I observe is that the offside rule probably needs to be refined in terms of how it's applied with VAR. You've got a blue line and a red line. When it gets to a point when the decision is made and the lines are purple because they're completely blurred, then it's bordering on the ridiculous. And you're quite right. If I'm size 10 and the defender is size 9, I could very well be offside, but actually behind it, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. No, I completely agree, Liam. That's the, that's the point I was making. I think I used a bad example with the size 6 and the size 9 in that, yeah, I'd not even thought of that. You can be behind him and, and actually, yeah, oh, this is frustrating me. But anyway, we're going to talk about VAR because Liam's going to have an update for us towards the end of the podcast. So let's park that for now. And Liam, sticking with you, let's actually look at the third goal, which was 2-0 and was again O'Neill and Chris Wood linking up. O'Neill capitalising on an error from the West Ham defence and this insistence that defenders have to play out from the back. Um, Another great cross and another great goal. And that one stood. 
it was almost as though he'd got the uh, the bee in his bonnet about uh, the first goal being uh, being ruled offside, wasn't it? And and what was really um, pleasing to me is that Chris Wood just whacked it into the back of the net. I mean, okay, the keeper got a touch to it, but he was never going to stop it. Not certainly not on the form he was in on that day, but. You've got to give the credit to McNeil. He took the ball. He ran with it. As you said, George, he, uh, he seems to be able to cross it from anywhere and get it right into the six-yard box, but he stuck it right onto the, the peg of, uh, of Chris Wood. And didn't that just make everybody smile? All the, all the, uh, the stadium uplifted. Brilliant. This is what it's about. It's about making sure that the fans in the stadium are happy with what's going on. Paradoxically, uh, with VAR, they're the last ones to find out. But um, but McNeil and Wood pairing up again, brilliant. Yeah, for sure. George, what was your take of the goal? It was a pretty good celebration as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all all credit to McNeil for actually um, chasing down when Roberto, the keeper, threw it out. All credit for, um, what do you call it? Not chasing down, but uh, all for pressing his man to take the ball off him. And he did well because he, he scuffed the ball a bit. He did well to actually get it on the plate for Chris Wood. But what I was going to ask is because obviously I haven't been able to go to many games this year with VAR. What on in the ground did he show? Like with the offside, did he, are they showing to fans at turf yeah. the offside lines and like, or is it just checking goal and you don't know what's going on? No, it's get it is getting a lot better, isn't it, Liam? I think at the beginning of the season there was that lack of certainty as to what was happening in the ground, but I certainly didn't feel that on Saturday when the second goal was. The, the it was very we, we all had a cheer because of, of the goal it was very clear straight away the referee signaled very clearly that it was going to be reviewed via VAR it came up on the screen straight away while the decision was being made it was telling us what was going on I didn't think it took that long to make the decision to be honest when they came back the referee clearly signaled it and then on the screen they showed the line where it was so we could see that it was offside um and I know that I, I was listening to some of the commentary over the weekend and I think some of the Sky Sports commentators were um, reacting to the Burnley crowd booing and saying, oh, the crowd have no idea what's going on here. This has got to be looked at. And I said at the time, no, 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 that's not what we were booing. We were just booing the the fractions of the offside because we don't want the offside decisions to be that close. I didn't feel, I don't. I didn't think the crowd were booing the actual, any uncertainty with VAR or any frustration in the crowd, Liam. I don't know how you felt with that. There's a, there's a bit of both, and you're right that they, they probably were booing in, in the majority, the absolute fractions. I mean, it, it wasn't as bad as the Sheffield United Spurs one, but it was still fairly close. But you you could argue if you were watching outside of outside of the stadium on a TV, you'd be able to see it. In terms of in stadium, so the, the, there's a bridge between Stockley Park, IVR Central, and. Um, and in-stadium communications. So whatever's presented to the stadium is up to the in-stadium communications management team to present that onto the board or put that over, over the over the tannoy or, or whatever other method that they use. And the problem that, that Turf Moor's got in particular is that depending on where you are sat in the stadium, you can't see that screen. So Natalie, you sit further down towards the cricket field stand from where I do, so you probably had a, a half-decent view of the screen, whereas where I sit in Block 8, I can't really see that screen at all. And I, I got a very a very brief glimpse of the the picture that shows the comparison of the blue line and the red line. And, and to be honest with you, it was that brief. The people around me were booing because they thought, well, that's just a nonsense. It's, it's, a, it, it's too fine a margin. And basically back to the point that we were talking about. But one thing that we've spoke about internally with the club from the trust is, um, could we possibly uh, adopt the use of maybe the the, the um, pitch side advertising boards up until the point where, where the, the club have got sufficient other screens up and around um, so that everybody can see what's going on at any time. I should add, by the way, that even if you sat in the Bob Lord stand, if you sat in the in uh, near the back, you can't see all of the screen. So it's not in an ideal position, but they had obviously to position it and adopt the uh, adopt the, the the positioning of the accessible stadia that are now fully open. I'm, pl- I'm pleased to say. So there's quite a bit of work to do for the for the club in terms of getting that in stadium in stadium communication sorted. Um, I think we saw the same at, at Aston Villa away. 
there were some delays on 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 the um, communication there. But what I would say, in sort of um, imbalance, is that one of the arguments that's been put forward is regardless of whether you've got a screen or whether you're at Liverpool and uh, and Man United and you've only got some sort of LED board. The, the kind of um, audio commentary should be there in terms of letting people know what's going on. I'm not talking about uh, rugby, rugby union and TMO and all that, all that kind of stuff, although that would be a step forward, um, just to let everybody know what's going on. And it's the first time I actually recognise and notice that, that those audio announcements were being made. So, so fair play, people are picking up. And, and I think on one hand, that was a, that was a, bit, of a, a bit of a positive despite the fact that the technology and the fine margins of error let us down over the weekend across all the Premier League. Yeah, I think what's important to add on the VAR is that there was some, there was an interview with Swar- uh, Neil Swarbrick on BBC this week, who's like the, the head chief of VAR. He's overseeing it. And he said one of the future uh, things that he definitely want to add to all grounds is uh, obviously the use of us being able to hear the audio of them making the decision a bit like, a bit like you know in rugby where you can hear the you can you can hear the referee, which I, d- I think will definitely help uh, the match day the match day fan um, definitely be able to actually be able to listen in and hear how they're making the decision. So then it's not just all right decision no goal. You can actually hear them saying Chris Wood or number nine offside, and it just provides a bit more clarity. So I think that will definitely help in the future if they can bring that in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and what I would add is that probably the reason why they've not done that thus far is, you know, it's first time round, although they've trialled it for, for for FA Cup games and other cup competitions, right? Um, but if, if I want to be brutal, if they did that right now, it would be like you're listening to uh, to uh, a clip of the Muppet Show with the with the Swiss chef, the Swedish <laughs> chef, chopping his chopping his chickens up, because they probably they probably go on and on, and they they, they probably don't know which decision to make. But it's Swarbrick that is the guy that's directing everybody to make the decision that they're making, and I think that he needs to stand up and take a take a little bit more criticism, and I also. This, this is not fact. This is not recorded anywhere or anything like that. But isn't it strange how none of the referees are referring to the pitch side monitors? Don't get it. Yeah, we did talk about that a couple of weeks ago, actually. I'm not really sure why that's happening. And I think after a weekend of... Oh, actually, it was it was the weekend after our Leicester equaliser, wasn't it? Um, the another goal that never was um, for Chris Wood, <laughs> poor guy. Um, it could like literally be Premier League's leading goal scorer if VI hadn't been brought in this year. Um yeah, I, I, I think after that weekend, there was quite a bit of pressure on the referees to, to do that. And, and for some reason, it never happened, even though we thought it would do. Um, so, moving on, we then get to goal number four, which was 3-0. Um, and, George, just do we feel for this keeper or do we not feel for this keeper? There's not a lot to say about this goal other than lol. Oh, it was incredible watching this, watching uh, Roberto play this game. It, it gave me flashbacks. The, the only other time that I've seen a, a keeper have an absolutely torrid time at turf was it was about it was about three or four years ago when Mignolet came with Liverpool and it got so bad that he and he ended up I think he ended up getting subbed off but he just every time he touched the ball it seemed to go wrong and that's what it was like at the weekend with Roberto I've just been looking at the stats on uh, the game and it's bonkers we had eleven corners I I can't believe that Burnley had eleven corners it's just it just tells you a lot about how the game went. And it seemed like with every corner, it, we didn't need any fancy Eddie Howe technique. It was just pin the keeper back and get Westwood to whip a ball in. And it worked. So it worked almost every time. Like we created chances from every corner. I mean, this one, it was, oh, I don't know what he's trying to do. Just punching it. Maybe, okay, punch it, but not just punch it one-handed. He had an absolutely torrid time. But credit to Westwood. He was putting in great deliveries all afternoon. And uh, corners are a real strong point at the moment. Uh, we, we're going really well with them. And especially for a team like us, not creating that much more open play, that's the sort of stuff that keeps you up or keeps you high on the table. So brilliant to see. And what a funny display to watch. Yeah, it really was. I found it hilarious that there was loads of calls that an outrage that Barnes had, had um, somehow fouled the keeper. It was just like, no, no, no. Um, and again, this one did go to VAR because why wouldn't it? The whole lot's going to VAR these days. Um, and actually, answering your question here, George, um, 
they did replay the goal about three times while the VAR review was going on with that. They didn't do it as much with the offside. Um, <clears throat> I'm assuming because they're obviously looking at the lines and, and getting the technology up to date. But when it's simply a case of looking to see whether there has been a clear and obvious error, i.e. The, the referee has missed a foul on the keeper, um, they, they, they replayed the goal about three times in the ground. And it was it was so obvious that this was going to be given. And it, just the crowd were laughing their heads off at the calamity that the keeper had done, um, which was highly amusing. And even the referee, was he looked really relaxed on the pitch. He was like, well, this is going to be a goal. It's fine. I'm just going to wait for the confirmation because it was just so obvious that it was. Um, and then finally then, uh, the fifth goal, Liam, the would have been 4-0 and should have been 4-0. It's probably the most controversial out of the the two that were disallowed, actually. Um, Ben Mee's header following um, a pretty cracking corner again. Um, I think this might have been a Westwood corner. Forgive me, one of the two was a Westwood corner, um, which again was really good. Um, And this time, before the goal even went into the back of the net, the referee had blown for a foul by Ashley Barnes on the keeper. He actually did do it this time, no arguments here. However... What we didn't realise at the time in the ground and what is massively apparent when you look at the replays, Liam, before Ashley Barnes goes anywhere near Jimenez to foul him, Ben Mee is having his shirt pulled. I'm feeling pretty confident we should have had a penalty there. It's the classic example of why Mr Dyche said that VAR would be a good thing because how many times last season did we hear the complaint these decisions go against us and while they're marginal, they have a big impact across the season and you would expect them to even out, but they never really did. And it's exactly those decisions that you would have thought that VAR would have corrected. When, from my personal opinion, not talking from a person that's never been involved in any of this this football-related matters that I'm involved in now, if you just said to me, we're bringing VAR in, they're going to review all this stuff, they're, they're going to review goals, they're going to review you know, clear and obvious errors, etc. I would have thought, well, all these penalties that we seem to, to miss and these handball decisions that seem to go against us when we play in Arsenal, I thought we're going to be nailed on. We're going to have like six, nine, 12 points more than we would have previous season. But to me, it, it just flabbergasts me. I don't really have an answer for it, to be honest with you, Natalie. But my opinion is that they should have absolutely looked at that. If they if they reviewed the fact that that um that there was a goal, that it was ruled out because Barnes had fouled the keeper, they should have checked everything out that was going on. Not three, two, one minute before, like seconds before that actually happened. And I think again, this is something for Swarbrick and Riley to uh, to to take a look at it's it's not going to go away so we've just got to uh, we've just got to embrace it and make sure that we can feed back to the relevant authorities in the PGMOL etc so that we can give them um areas where they need to focus on the best but yeah terrible terrible decision <laughs> i think so too and 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 i'm just a little bit frustrated that VAR was intended to bring consistency in the league and there is still that element of subjectivity and I have seen time and time again for other clubs whose names I'm sure we don't need to read out where they get those decisions it's like well you know it's all very well um thinking well you know we were 3-0 up it doesn't really matter but what if that had only been nil nil or what if we'd have only been one nil and they'd have scored a late equaliser it shouldn't really matter at what stage of the game it is um VAR Clearly, the referee had missed the shirt pulling because he was watching Barnes because it's Kevin Friend and he hates Ashley Barnes and he's always watching Ashley Barnes. So in that sense, that's exactly what VAR is for. You know, the referee was concentrating on somebody else, rightly spotted a Barnes foul, but in the meantime, missed an obvious shirt pull, which to me should have been a penalty. Um, George, did you have a quick point on this final um, goal before we move on? Yeah, you touched upon it then, but all I want to say was, isn't it lovely that we can complain about this decision when we were 3-0 up? I mean, usually these decisions go against us and we're ruining it for weeks to come of a missed point or a missed win, but realistically, we were 3-0 up. It's brilliant to talk about it in this context. 
We're turning into the Premier League divas, you know this, don't we? We're turning into those fans that start whinging now about everything instead of being just being grateful to be here. Um, okay, well, let's end the match analysis then. Um, just very quickly, uh, George, we'll start with you. Man of the match, please. Dwight McNeil, no doubt. 12, 12 or 11 crosses in the game. He was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Liam, your man of the match. Yeah, I'm with uh, I'm with George on that one. Dwight McNeil, brilliant. Um, the only close second, and and to be honest with you, everybody else really put a shift in. I was really pleased. The only close second for me was was Charlie Taylor because he worked so well with him. But Dwight McNeil all day long. Yeah, and that is a hat trick for me. I also vote Dwight McNeil. Um, quick correction, editorial wise, George is just put in our chat box while we we're talking that I keep calling him the Aussie Wizard O'Neill. Um, I think I'm doing a sky. Clearly, my uh, <laughs> I keep getting mixed up. Um, it was quite interesting, really. McNeil obviously got man of the match as well on the ground, and I think Sky gave it to him as well. Um. It was interesting to listen to Deitch's post-match interview because he'd said that um, he'd brought him off last week and he had had a, a poor game the week before and actually he wants to see him with more of a smile on his face. And it's quite interesting really because it's unusual to hear Deitch single out players either, well, he certainly doesn't do it for criticism, but even for, for praise, he doesn't tend to do it very often. Um, so I'm very, very pleased with that. Quick note as well on... Um, Man of the Match Award accolades. The Express newspaper, this is the only one I've seen so far, actually put Nick Pope and Tarkovsky in their Premier League Team of the Week, which I find amazing that we got a Burnley player in Nevermind 2, but also intriguing that it was them two and not McNeil, particularly as Nick Pope had zero to do for the entire afternoon. But hey, what do we know? George, how are you feeling then? We're going into the third international break of the season. We are sitting in 10th place on 15 points. I guess, how are you feeling we're doing now? We're at the, I guess, third way stage of the season. Really happy. Just to boost you up a bit. I think we're in ninth at the moment. I'm just just, just, just having a look now. So that sounds no. That sounds Oh, what? Oh, it's as it stood before. Oh. Oh, Stop putting the towel on my mood. We could have just let that slide then. But, uh, you taketh and you giveth away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a way. But I'm delighted. But yeah, no. I'm delighted. We're doing we're doing really well. We've definitely had a, a few tricky games like the Liverpool game, uh, Leicester, really good side, and Arsenal. Uh, but the teams that we've lost to, uh, I think they're all top seven now, I think. Leicester, Liverpool, Arsenal. We've lost another one, but I can't quite remember. It might have been an easier game. But we're we're going well, especially against the sides that we should be beating or should be getting points from. And if we continue like this, I don't see why we can't push for top 10. We just need to make sure not to have many more dips in form like we have for the past few weeks before the West Ham game. But overall, we're playing some good football as well. Um, Wood and Barnes carried on where they left off last season. And hopefully bringing in Charlie Taylor at the weekend, that's the start of his um, being in the side every week. So... Definitely a lot, a lot of positives going into the season. If we can make a couple of additions in January, then that's a bonus. But it's looking good so far. Yeah, it really is. Um, Liam, I guess when you look back over the fixtures that we've had in the opening 12 games, we've kind of lost the games we expected to lose and drew the games that we hoped we'd get a point from and won the ones we wanted to. Um, I think a few people are maybe questioning uh, Sheffield United away being um, a poor result. To be fair, though, given how well they've started the season, I'm not entirely sure that losing away at Bramall Lane is that poor a result in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, well, I have to say you're probably a good... That puts a good position on it because when I went into the two games that were Chelsea and and um, and Sheffield United, I kind of... My, my thought about the game against Chelsea was, you know, they, they, although they're playing well, they get some good results. This is a team of kids. They've not come up against the hard gruff Burnley team before I thought we were I thought we were on to a winner or at least to put up a good performance and and two bad mistakes did us there and I felt a little bit disappointed about that despite the uh, the, the the good late comeback which probably lifted the stadium and, and and avoided any bad thoughts about the overall game I also thought that we probably could have done better against Sheffield United and we didn't play anywhere near how we should have done I think Sean Dyche recorded as saying 
if I could replace the entire back four at half time, I would have done. I may I may be misquoting, but but uh, I'm sure I read or heard that or heard somebody say it anyway. But I think you're right. I think you've you've level set me, and and I think that if I were to look at it overall, I think I would be happy with where we are. And I agree with George once again. Um, you know, if we if we get somebody in to replace replace the probably outgoing Danny Drinkwater um, in January uh, to give some support to allow you know Jack Cork to have his his good games and and his not so good games and replace uh, replace that gap, fill that gap. Um, I think we're good. If we can if we can capitalise on these next few games and get to that twenty point um, twenty point target. Um, before Christmas, then I think uh, I think it's uh, a good job. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, we've had a, a slight break in um, recording this week just from a, a few technical issues. And, and during the couple of days break between the second half of the show and the first half, um, there's been quite a few newspaper reports that Deitch is not going to bother renewing um, Danny Drinkwater's loan deal in January. Um, Georgie looks like he's literally nowhere near the first team. And, and I know we've talked about it on previous episodes. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I kind of feel like he's worth persevering. I know people are talking about his wages being an issue, but I don't believe for one second that we're paying 120 grand a week because we can't afford to. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about whether we send him back or not. Yeah, perhaps I'm being short-sighted, but I'm absolutely just fed up with the situation. And I was the one who was pro Danny Drinkwater uh, a few episodes back with Tom, but I'm just completely exhausted with it. And you just know that now he's played his first under-23 games on Tuesday, and you just know with the to get dice fit, that's at least another three, maybe four weeks of of playing with the development side, you'd think, maybe uh, being on the bench in a couple of weeks, but... By then, you're looking at the start of December. I mean, unless he gets into the side somehow and shows shows some good performances, I just don't think it's worth bothering with because I can't see us signing him permanently at the end of the deal because you'd be looking at at least £15 million, you'd think, because Chelsea will want to recoup some of the losses from signing him for £30 million. So at the end of the day, it's only going to be another extension of a loan, if anything. I just think... We'd be better off going for someone permanent in January, a younger player. Okay, they might not be as polished now, but that's the Burnley way. We get them, polish them up and sell them on for, for good money or at the moment maybe sign for a long-term deal. But I just, I, just, I just don't think it's worth persevering with. He's not that good. Yeah, he's a good player, but he's not worth all this hassle for me and I'm just getting fed up with the situation. And I think Daesh's comments were pretty telling this week. I think I saw on the uh, Lancashire Telegraph that he said something like, yeah, obviously we expected it to go differently and now we're in this situation, it's perhaps time to look at things. It was something along those lines which sounded ominous and especially with the rumours coming out this week that we're going to send him send him back and that's from Alan Nixon who's usually pretty reliable. I can only see this ending one way but hopefully that, that pushes the board into we do need to sign a centre mid in January for me. We've only got Hendrick, Cork and Westwood. And with Hendrick playing out wide on the right and doing well there, we need backups in them positions or even people to push for the first team. So that's top of my priorities for January if we do send Drinkwater back. Yeah. I'm... Sorry, I was pausing there while I was thinking about this. I, I get I get all of that and I, do, I don't necessarily disagree with the points we've made. I think playing devil's advocate, my only claim, I guess... Do I think this? Yeah, that, look, at the end of the day, that final stretch towards the end of the season after Christmas is a long one. And we're going to be very, very lucky if we don't get a couple of suspensions or a couple of niggles along the way in terms of injuries. And I just think if if he's in here anyway and he's prepared to get his head down, I certainly don't think he he's... I just don't think it's that bad a thing to keep him on the books just so he can help out in the second half of the season. Um Liam, do you have any thoughts either way? That is one way of thinking about it. Um, I tend to agree with George. Um, the cost Im- impact um, could be quite high if we were to keep him on, either as a either as a loanee um, or even signing him on. I don't think is is in the price bracket for us to sign him on. 
And if we're to keep him on as a loanee, that potentially blocks any options that we've got for taking on some genuine new signings in January. And I know we're gen- generally not that particularly active in the January transfer window. But I do recall anecdotally, um, and I can't remember the name now, but I, I believe that there was almost a, a midfielder signing nailed with Hull City that's apparently breaking doors down at the moment. Might be wrong with the team. I might, might be wrong with the reference of position. Um, but uh, but young Mr. Rory Hallin and tries to keep me filled in on, on those particular points. He's, he's all over the, uh, the, the Football League. I just think that if there is a possibility, bearing in mind that we brought somebody on in the last two years to specifically look at recruitment, if there is a possibility that we can bring somebody in that would be a permanent signing that would add value to the team, that would give that opportunity to do that switching between Jack uh, Hendrick coming into the middle or somebody else offering something else. Um, and if drink water was to be blocking that by holding his position at the football club, then the club should consider that position um, in its entirety. Yeah, just on that point, Liam, I think, I think who... Is it Rory? I think who he, he might be mentioning is Jared Bowen from Hull, who is absolutely him, yeah. tearing, yeah, that's him, tearing up the championship. Now he's a, he's a right right winger slash striker, but that if we brought him in, that would allow Hendrick then to either come in as a first choice midfielder or back on the bench as backup. He's been absolutely tearing up the championship for last season and already this season again, and he's the price he's banding around for him isn't that high. Young English can play striker, right wing. I think. He should be near the top of our priorities list for January. And I've thought that since the summer, since the rumours came about. And it would allow the flexibility with Hendrick going back into centre mid as well. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what he said as well. Right, my thing to like. They do. This is great stuff, I think. I'm just like, I think we're just going to have completely solved VAR and Burnley's recruitment problems in one podcast. This is good work, guys. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's move on slightly. And I think just before we, we finish up for this week's podcast, I just want to catch up with Liam. Um, Liam, obviously, regular listeners will know Liam sits on the, the Clarets Trust Board and uh, there's been their quarterly, is it, Liam, uh, Premier League meeting. Um, aside from the points you've already raised on VAR during our goals session, was there anything else to report that our listeners might find interesting? Yeah, so just to join the dots up, so as a as a member of the Clarets Trust Board and and uh, and working in London at the same time while still being a, a resident of East Lancashire, um, it gives me the opportunity to represent the Clarets Trust at the uh, Football Supporters Association, which is just to remind everybody the newly new recently merged uh, Supporters Direct and Football Supporters Federation. Um, groups. Okay, so there's a single national football supporters association, and the, and they also don't just cover Premier League; they cover all 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 of the leagues. So we meet with them and we talk about all the general topics of of concern to all all supporters, and it covers everything from from match day experience, which includes VAR and governance, etc., which includes things like what happened to uh, uh, to Bury. Um, uh, and safe standing and travel, etc. Um, as in, if I am booking a ticket to go and see Spurs before the tickets come out, and then the the fixture rescheduling changes the date of that ticket, then I'm going to have to pay some more for my new new, new train ticket. So we, we we are campaigning with the FSA uh, and getting support from the Premier League to work with the Transport Minister, whoever it is at the time, to to change that. Specifically on VAR, we did have a, a meeting with the Premier League. Um, in the last month, and they didn't necessarily give us any direct feedback. I think it was a, a position of defence, and 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 the position was as follows: We appreciate that there's going to be a, a lot of feedback from supporters and fans and supporters groups alike around how the practices have been implemented. But what they would like to do is they'd like to syndicate that feedback um, and to uh, uh, and to try and input that feedback into their own review. The PGMOL are doing their own review. The Premier League of seeing that are taking account of that particular review. And as you said earlier, Natalie, the, the, the things that they look at are the goals, the penalties, the red cards, mistaken identity, um, offsides, etc., cetera, um, fouls and handballs in the run-up to a particular goal. So what was discussed in that particular meeting in terms of what I can 
actually tell you is the big sticking point, and we have touched on it, is that whilst these decisions are being made, and especially when games are being televised, is it's the fans that are paying for the football ticket in the stadium that are the worse off. The people that are watching it on TV get the gist. We can see much more on TV than what you can in the stadium. And that's the big thing. And it's almost as though that the directive has been, let's get to the decision as quickly as possible, which I would doubt is being executed anyway. That's my own personal opinion. I'm not quoting anybody there. Let's say that the TV monitors are not being checked. That's, again, my own personal opinion. But um, I would seek uh, fans' opinion on that. And furthermore, what about the overall communication? Let's make sure that the the fans in the stadium know what's going on first and foremost. And I reflect back to my original point that whilst there's an opportunity to use every facility that's in the stadium, stadiums don't necessarily have to spend loads of money on new screens or what have you. There's a big flashing board that goes around the pitch that that tells you about all the betting sites that you can go and go and visit and bet on the next goal or the next goal score or how many corners or how many yellow cards somebody's going to get. But we don't see what's going on on VAR. And I think that's the biggest principle of the issue with VAR at the moment. Of course, there's no consistency in in the way that it's applied. And there are problems in the way that decisions are made alongside. I think, let me step back. I think one of the issues is that it's getting too finicky, especially when you get the red and the blue line becoming purple on the offside decision. That's not necessarily a VAR issue, but it's being exposed by VAR because the rule about offside is if it's a millimetre in front of the of the defending player, then it's offside. Okay, so that probably needs to be reviewed. So they probably need to do an overall review of the of the rule book where VAR is applied. Um, would you believe it, by the way, that football authorities in South America, such as Brazil and Argentina, are actually looking to the Premier League for best practice on how VAR is to be implemented? That is absolutely unbelievable. Sure, really. Anyway, so so where I'm getting to with this is where I'm getting to with this is uh, as part of uh, my role in the Claret Trust, we, we're going to initiate um, a kind of survey monkey on VAR so that we can we can consolidate and syndicate fans' views on it. We're going to try and make it really really clean and simple. So I'll be sharing that out from the Claret Trust Twitter. Um, Natalie, if you can share that out through No Name Ever, and I'll I'll uh, Twitter Claret say as many as many feedbacks as we can get on that that survey monkey would be great because that'll feed into the Premier League input to the PGMOL review and at the end of the season it's here to stay, right? Um, also, I believe it is. So we've just got to make sure that we can input and make sure that the operational practices are improved. By the way. Um, I mentioned on the first time we discussed it that um, as sort of representatives in the FSA, we were invited to Stockley Park to review it. Now, I didn't get the opportunity to do that, but we, we may have another opportunity to do so. So if anybody's got any questions that they want to ask, then please fire them to me and I'll make sure that they're represented when I when I eventually get there. Fantastic stuff. That's really useful, Liam. And um, obviously, we're very lucky to have you on the show and that we can get those in-depth analysis of those meetings. And it's going to take some time to iron it out, but it is nice to know that we've got somebody that's got the fan voice on there that is uh, is looking after our interests. So that is all we have time for this week. Um, It's been a jam-packed issue, but primarily we're all very, very happy because we are celebrating three fantastic points and a cracking performance by the Clarets at Turf Moor. We are now going to be on an international break. We get to have a week off as well as the players do as well and there's no international breaks for us. None of us are swanning off anywhere. So we are going to be back um, a week on Friday. Myself and Dave will be there um, looking at Watford away for the preview show. 
And then the following Tuesday, the full team will be back to analyse what will hopefully be a fantastic away win. My thanks as ever go to George and Liam for their incredible analysis this evening and for joining me in the show to talk about all things Claret and Blue. Um, Producer Matt also gets an extra special thanks this week because he has three different files that he has to knit together for this week's show. So uh, I'm going to apologise in advance if there's any continuity errors, but this, this podcast this week has spanned over 36 hours and... Yeah, it's a mess. So thanks, Matt. Um, and thanks to band to I was gonna call them boy band Joyce. I'm not sure that they are a boy band, but thanks to band Joyce for providing us with our music. Final thanks as ever go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this week's show. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Never Podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.